Um, this morning, as I mentioned, is Freedom Sunday, and Ben Alston will be coming up to share with us a sermon on the justice heart of God, God's heart for justice in the world, and some updates on what's going on in the international justice mission and how we can get involved. We're going to be in scripture this morning, so if you would uh, open up to Luke chapter 10, and George is going to come up and read at this time. Luke 10, 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he had come to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Thank you, Georgia. Good morning, everyone. Um, as Brian said, my name is Ben Alston. If uh, you just stand with me if you can, we're just going to open in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get started. Father, thank you uh, for Emmaus. I thank you for the way that this church has taken uh, social justice so seriously. I pray today that uh, those of us who need to have our hearts broken, that they will be broken uh, and, and be in line with your heart. I pray for those here who have very tender hearts and want to do everything and fix everything, that uh, you would help them to remember that you're God and you're in control. Um, again, I pray that uh, just what you have for us and what the Holy Spirit has for each and every one of us here today, um, that we'll be open to and that you will work in our hearts. Amen. I want to say uh, thank you again to the elders here at Emmaus for letting us do another Freedom Sunday. Uh, we did it for the first time last year and really had uh, an amazing response. Uh, what, what is Freedom Sunday? It is basically a Sunday where churches across the globe, over a thousand of them this year, focus on God's heart for justice and for shining a light on the 40 million slaves that are in the world today. Um, and I'm just really thrilled that Emmaus is choosing to be a, a part of it again this year. I grew up in Togo, West Africa. Uh, Togo is a country in West Africa, not South Africa, which is what people usually hear when I say that. And it's next to uh, Ghana, Nigeria, Benin, if that helps kind of put it in perspective for you. I was there from uh, age three to age 14. And when I was there, people lived on about $300 a year, less than a dollar a day. So I grew up around poverty every day. Uh, with that, it just kind of came like, well, it's just a way of life. They seem pretty happy. Like, I don't know what the big deal is because I was a kid. Uh, but as I grew up, I started to understand more about poverty and more of what was affecting people in the world. Um, and that led me and some friends in uh, 2011, and this is actually how I met my wife through this, uh, to start an organization called 5810. And we work with orphans ranging from newborn babies the whole way up to 18-year-olds, and we have about uh, 250 kids in two homes, uh, and I love that ministry. But when I talked to Brian and Eric and uh, uh, Adam, I, I didn't say, hey, I want to talk about uh, that ministry. I, I was like, I really think International Justice Mission would be a good fit uh, for Emmaus. Um, and let me just talk about why I think that is, and there was really two reasons for that. Um, one is, from my perspective, International Justice Mission 
is probably the most effective parachurch organization in the world. And when we look at nonprofits, we don't always need to look at where they spend their money on budgets. We need to look at their effectiveness. And IJM, there isn't a nonprofit more effective for the kingdom of God. Um, and then secondly, I thought it would be a good fit for the heart of the people here in Emmaus. And last year was unbelievable. Um, I don't know if you remember, but we had a matching gift. And on top of a matching gift, we had another matching gift. So it was basically whatever you gave was going to be three times that amount for the year. And uh, it topped out at 25 people who signed up. And I was like, I mean, if we get 10, that would be unbelievable. There's no way we're going to get 25. We had 32 families and people sign up last year that gave a total of $23,000, which was unbelievable. And that basically represents, those of you who've been tracking with IJM, every time you hear a rescue story, the average cost of that is about $6,000. So Emmaus as a family, you can look at it, we represented four different rescues uh, in the past year. So that is amazing and uh, so thankful for that. Um, we had such a large percentage of the church respond last year, like 32 families and people out of a group this size is quite the group. Um, so last month at the IJM headquarters in Washington, D.C., they actually shared the Emmaus story during one of their prayer times. So again, just thrilled about that and what God's done so far and excited what he's going to do um, in the future. Before we talk about Freedom Sunday and International Justice Mission, I want to talk a little bit about justice and God's heart for justice. And what is justice? What isn't uh, justice? What's injustice? What isn't injustice? And why does justice and injustice matter? So one of our values here, we're going to be talking about it, I think pretty soon, uh, at Emmaus, is mission. And on our website it says, when we are actively loving, serving, and sharing the good news of the kingdom as cultural missionaries in both word and deed. So mission, or the ministry of reconciliation, is both speaking the word of truth and doing. It is both um, telling people of Jesus and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And we are part of the ambassadors that get to be a part of reconciling everything to God. And that means family relationships, that means work relationships, that means uh, systems in the world, and it most definitely means justice and injustice. It means reconciling injustice and bringing about justice. So maybe not all of us, but most of, of us, and even me growing up in Africa, the way I grew up, haven't really experienced a lot of true injustice in my life. Now, some of you in here probably have, but as a whole, it's not something we experience every day. So a couple things that injustice is not. I don't know if any of you guys are points people, uh, Hilton Honors points or American Airline points or credit card point people. Um, American Airlines, you know, I've been saving up these points for a while and I've had a couple of conversations with my wife and be like, oh, maybe we could go up to like New York City for the weekend and we'll just fly up there, use the points. So we look at it and I'm going to go use it and American Airlines is like, yes, you can use your points. It'll be $375 in fees. And you're like, I mean, I just had all these points. Isn't it supposed to be free? And that isn't injustice. It's a bit of a jerk move by American Airlines, but it's, it's not injustice. If I save maybe an item, I'm going to pick it up at Target. You know, I'm going to get diapers for the kids. I show up. Oh, sorry, we're out of those type of diapers. I mean, those were the organic ones. I have to have the organic ones. If they don't have it, that's not an injustice. It might be an inconvenience, but it's not injustice. Or the person who cuts you off in traffic, unbelievably frustrating, but really not the injustice that we're talking about when that wells up in your heart. So what is the biblical view of justice? I'm just going to put up this slide of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4.1, again, I looked and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. This is the biblical picture of injustice. This is a picture of someone who has power oppressing someone who does not. This is someone who has taking from someone who has not. The founder of IJM, Gary Haugen, says, Injustice occurs when power is misused to take from others what God has given them, namely their life, dignity, liberty, or the fruits of their love and labor. And we see stories of injustice really throughout the Bible. Um, you think of the most obvious one, the children of Israel being held in bondage. Or maybe another one is David and Bathsheba as David used his power to take Bathsheba and kill Uriah. 
And really when we look at the Bible, you can't separate the story of the Bible and justice. Um, I used the example last year of you know, espresso and milk if you're a latte person. Once you mix those together, you really can't separate where the espresso begins and where the milk ends and where all that comes together. It's just all one thing. And justice is just like that in the Bible, and it is part of who God is. You know, perhaps I would describe myself to you if you came up to me and I would say, you know, Ben, who are you? I'd say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. Um, I'm married to Laura. I have three kids, Grace, Jack, and Mary. Um, I'm a salesperson. Maybe I go to Emmaus. That's how I would describe myself. And when God describes himself, he describes himself as a father to the fatherless and someone who brings power and freedom to the oppressed. So let's just look at scripture here. I don't necessarily expect you to follow along, but just to hear the words of the Lord and his thoughts on justice, starting in Isaiah 61, it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Zechariah 7, 9, This is what the Lord Almighty said, Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Isaiah 42, speaking of Jesus, said, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Luke 4, 18, The spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Proverbs 21, when justice is done, it brings joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. Amos 5, 24, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Psalm 33, 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. Psalm 10, you, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed. So that, they mere, so that mere mortals will never again strike terror. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Psalm 35. My whole being will exclaim, Who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong from them, the poor and the needy from those who rob them. Jesus says in Matthew 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, and hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You have practiced the latter. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Isaiah 1, 17, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Psalm 68, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. These are the words of our Lord. There's two Hebrew words we want to look at just to kind of talk about justice a little bit more. And they're the words of mishpat and sedeka. And mishpat occurs, according to Tim Keller, in its various forms more than 200 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. And its most basic meaning is to treat people equitably. It means acquitting or punishing every person on the merits of its case, regardless of race or social status. Anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. It also means giving people their rights or rectifying justice. Another term of justice that shows up in the Bible is sedeka. It is a life of right, right relationship, primarily with God, but also with others. And John Stott talks some about this in his um, commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about the beatitude that Jesus speaks. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And this is what John Stott has to say. For biblical righteousness is more than a private and personal affair. It includes social righteousness as well. And social righteousness, as we learn from the law and prophets, is concerned with seeking man's liberation from oppression. Together with the promotion of civil rights, justice in the law courts, integrity in business dealings, and honor in home and family affairs. So what does this mean for us? What are these truths that we hear the Bible speak about? And what does it mean as being a Jesus follower? And what I would say is, this is part of being a Jesus follower. This is part of being a disciple 
of Jesus. It's not extra, it's not bonus points. Um, sometimes I think of my giving maybe as, you know, bonus points. You know, I give my money to Emmaus, and then maybe I give to these other nonprofits or whatever to help the poor, and that's just bonus points that God should be happy with. But really, that's not how the Bible describes it at all. Again, Tim Keller in the book Generous Justice says this, and this passage kind of really haunts me and hits me when I think about how I use my resources. It says, in the scripture, gifts to the poor are called acts of righteousness, as in Matthew 6, 1 and 2. Not giving generously, then, is not stinginess, but unrighteousness, a violation of God's law. In the book of Job, we see Job call every failure to help the poor a sin, offensive to God's splendor and deserving of judgment and punishment. Remarkably, Job is asserting that it would be a sin against God to think of his goods and belongings as belonging to himself alone. Not to share his bread and his assets with the poor would be unrighteousness, a sin against God, and therefore, by definition, a violation of God's justice. So again, it's pretty laid out for us in Scripture. Serving the poor, serving the marginalized, caring about God's heart for justice is not an optional add-on to our walk with Jesus. It is a command in Scripture. So who are the poor and the vulnerable? In Scripture, scholars have kind of broken it up into what they call the quadrant of the vulnerable. And that's widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. So I started, again, a nonprofit. We serve vulnerable children and orphans. So one of these quadrants. Um, there's a lot of other organizations like ours. Compassion is a great one. World Vision, um, Hear the Cry. There's many of them where you get to sponsor a child and change that child's life. And let me tell you, it completely changes their life. It's amazing. And I'm so privileged to be a part of it. But we're often treating the symptoms of broken systems so we are helping a child who's coming out of a broken system and giving them opportunity. But it's hard to really get to the core of the social setting. We might be getting to the core of that family's poverty, but it's hard to get to the core of the social, really the root problem in the social setting there. I'd encourage you to go on uh, internet, Google IJM TED Talk and watch this because it will be even more compelling than what I'm talking about. But I took a few things out of that talk that I just want to share with you. And Gary Haugen is sharing the moment when he was walking through the idea of how to fight poverty internationally specifically. Um, so he met with this woman named Venus. He knew that she had had a hard life. And he just said, you know, walk me through what it means to have poverty in your life. And Venus told the story about how she had a little boy named Peter and she was married to her husband and he passed away. And when she passed away, a man named Brutus came in and violently kicked her off her land and out of her property. This took away a food source for Venus. And she couldn't feed Peter anymore. So she fed him as she could, but Peter wasn't doing well. He was malnourished. And she said she can remember holding Peter in her arms as he passed away from not having food. And this is happening all over the world right now. If you look at the, up on the screen the story of Claire, Claire was run off her land soon after her husband died. He was a young man. Her land was not only her home, but also a place where she grew food and raised animals to provide for her family. She was pregnant and had five young children. She was then tried to, was attempted to be kicked off her land, and when she fought against it, the perpetrators tried to kill her with a machete. Eventually kicking her and her boys and girls off the property, she had to take her kids out of school because they couldn't afford it anymore. And they started to have to do just meager jobs so that they could eat. So they went from a place where they had some security and some opportunity to all of it being taken away because her husband died and there was nothing that she could do. This is the lack of a justice system for her. Nobody to set this right. Gary Haugen tells the story of a girl named Griselda in Guatemala. And Griselda was given a scholarship to have free education, which is amazing. But Griselda didn't go to school. You know why she didn't go to school? Because when she did, she was beaten up and raped. And when that was happening, why would you go to school at that point? And there was no justice system to help Griselda. 
Unfortunately, she represents poor women across the world between the ages of 15 and 44 that are abused at outrageous rates. This group of women account for more cases of death and disability in the world than malaria, car accidents, and war combined. Again, not justice to help these ladies. In Bolivia, a pedophile has a better chance of slipping in the shower and dying than being convicted of their crimes. In South Asia, a perpetrator has a greater chance of being struck by lightning than going to jail for their crimes. Brian Stevenson, the founder of Equal Justice Initiative, says this, The opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Notice it doesn't say the opposite of poverty is opportunity, which is what I always thought, but it's justice. That is the root problem. So when Gary Haugen first came across this, he's like, he's a lawyer. He's like, well, this is easy. Let's put some laws in. Let's get with these governments and do this. But what he found is governments across the world have laws. They just don't have law enforcement or justice systems to help them. And in the developing world, basic law enforcement is so broken that recently the UN issued a report that found, quote, most poor people live outside the protection of the law. Today is Freedom Sunday, and today we're going to focus on a specific group that injustice has hit so hard. This is a group of people who are slaves. This is a group of people who are suffering basically from modern day slavery, which again, sometimes we're just really not aware of. Today in the world, if you don't know this, there are 40 million slaves in the world. That is 40 weight counties. Or If you take the 29 biggest cities in the United States of America and put them all together, that's 40 million people. Human trafficking generates about $150 billion per year. Two-thirds of that is sexual trafficking. To put that in perspective, that is three times as much as Disney made last year on the revenues. That is 15 times the amount that all the Star Wars movies have made together. That's every single year. A child goes missing in India every eight minutes. Half of them are never found. Sex trafficking affects between five to 11 million people. And right now there are four billion people that are outside the protection of the law. That is more than half of the people in the world. So what we experience with having justice systems, even though they're broken here, don't get me wrong, but for the rest of the world, they don't have anything. At least half of them don't. So let's, that's kind of the 30,000 foot view. Let's bring this down to just some people that we can talk about and what they're experiencing. There's a girl named Sadna. She uh, is from India. Her family was broken and she had to work long hours to help provide. When she was 14, she found herself working in, actory, in a factory 12 hours a day, making little money with very little future for her. Her father died, then making her mainly one of the breadwinners in the family. So she went to her neighbor and said, I need some better work. Do you have anything for me? And they gave her an address. So she showed up at this address like, hey, you know, I'm going to show up for a job interview. And they're like, oh, yeah, come on in. Walked into a small room. There's condoms thrown about, alcohol bottles. And she all of a sudden felt very uncomfortable. Not knowing what to do, she's thirsty. She asked for a drink of water and she passed out. She woke up later, naked, having been raped. And from that moment on, the brothel owner basically said, you're mine, and tracked her everywhere she went and said, if you don't work here, we're going to hurt you, we're going to hurt your family. She was in bondage, in slavery. Last year, you might remember the story of Kumar. Kumar's parents died. He was a double orphan. And Kumar was put to work in a brick kiln, He was seven years old, working about 16-hour days. He tells the story of one day he was really, really sick. His hands were bothering him horribly from all the work he had done. And the brick kiln slave owner beat him for not working. Other people who had left the brick kiln were attacked and their hands were cut off for leaving the brick kiln. He was seven years old. 
When I was a missionary kid, we would uh, take vacations every once in a blue moon. And one time we went over to Ghana. There's a lake there called Lake Volta. It's the largest lake in the world. We ate breakfast at this hotel that's still there in the Akasambo Dam. And I looked out over the lake and it was beautiful. Little did I know till about four years ago that today there are 10,000 boys that are slaves on that lake. Most of them are ranging between the ages of five and 17. A study done by IJM says that one-fifth of the boys are under the age of six, and most are under the age of 12. So I get to teach the elementary kids, and I'm thinking, that's, that's Charlie, that's Caleb, that's Andrew. These are the kids that are working 16-hour days, and it's very dangerous. Uh, basically, their hope to get out is to be rescued, or they're going to die swimming down trying to unhook nets. And if they don't go to unhook the nets, they're going to be beaten. We're going to watch a short uh, video here of a boy named Foley, and then I'll come back. I follow grandfather to the farm and watch what he's doing. I am nine years old. I never want to leave this place. I always help my grandfather in the market. When I left home with my uncle, I didn't see my grandparents anymore. The first time I went on the lake, I wanted to escape, but I didn't know the way. Gotcha, man. continue that story in just a minute. But again, just like Foley, there are 10,000 boys working all day long right now in Lake Volta. There's also others, widows in Uganda, like Claire, who are being kicked off their lands. Children and whole families being abused and put into bondage slavery in India. And it's happening all over the place. And 
One of the questions is why is it even like this? And, and again, part of it is that the world is a horribly broken place and the systems are broken. Another thing to understand is this uncle, these slave owners who manipulate people, is that this is how their livelihood, this is how they make their money, and they are tenacious in getting what they want. They will use their power, they will use their influence to do whatever they can to oppress the people that are going to help them out. So what do we do about all this? And the first thing I always want to say during this Sunday, which can be difficult, is that there is hope. First, there is hope because Jesus is in control. Whether IJM exists or not, whether we do anything today or not, IJM is not the end-all be-all. Jesus is the end-all be-all, and he is going to set it right. He promises that he will, and he will bring about justice. But secondly, I'm thankful for IJM, and I'm thankful that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus. So we're going to talk a little bit about international justice mission and why I'm so thankful that there is a solution of something that we can do to be a part of it. So what is international justice mission? Um, the best way of thinking of it is it is a Christian-based law firm that fights for the poor and the oppressed all over the world. It is actually the largest anti-slavery organization in the world, and their stated goal is to end slavery in our lifetime. So 40 million slaves down to zero. That's the goal. There are four pillars that they're going to be sort of built on. What they focus on are, first of all, rescue. They want to rescue those who are enslaved. Secondly, they want to restore. So they don't just rescue and then, well, we'll try to figure out what happens. They need to restore these victims uh, that have gone through so much. Next, they want to restrain. They want to restrain perpetrators and systems that oppress and enslave the vulnerable. And they want to repair. They want to identify gaps and systems that are broken around the world and then work with governments and justice systems so that the people that don't have protection will begin to have protection in law enforcement. So let's talk a little bit about what IJM has done so far and kind of what they're built on. So first of all, we look at protection. Today, IJM is helping to protect more than 21 million people around the world because of justice systems that they have helped repair. And now there is justice for people who didn't have it. In the area of rescue, they've been rescuing thousands. And the point is that again, rescue thousands, protect millions who maybe they won't ever have to experience this and to prove that justice for the poor is possible. And IJM's new real focus is not to say that it's possible, but that it's unstoppable at this point and it's going to happen. This partially happens through convictions. Uh, some of the latest numbers are over 1,200 convictions against slave owners, rapists, and other criminals around the world. They also do training. So one of the ideas is IJM doesn't go in there and just always try to be some American group that fixes things. 90% of their employees are nationals that live in that country, that know that country. And that is how they end up partnering with governments and changing the entire systems. Now, IJM works across the world um, depending on basically uh, what that area needs is what they focus on. So they're working about 20 communities. We'll just pull up a picture here, uh, some of the areas that they work. We talked about Ghana there in Africa with the children of Lake Volta is their main focus. Guatemala, Dominican Republic, Bolivia is mainly fighting sex trafficking. Kenya uh, is both sex trafficking and police brutality, which is just a, a, an amazing amount there in Kenya. Uganda mainly focuses on helping widows who are kicked off their land. And then India where most of the slaves in the world are, a lot of it's about bonded slavery that happens. And in these other countries, it's almost all about sex trafficking that they are protecting and changing things. Again, the thing that is so exciting about IJM to me is that it is attacking the root. It is attacking poverty at the root and getting rid of oppression. And they're doing it in Jesus' name. They aren't bashful about being Christians. Matter of fact, every day at 11 o'clock, IJM stops everything. You have an important call at 11, cancel it. We pray every day from 11 o'clock to 11.30 because without it, they say it's just prayerless striving and they have to have God with them to do this work. Uh, to be an employee at IJM, uh, you actually have to sign off on the Apostles' Creed and say, this is what I believe. You, they don't just take uh, anybody. 
Let's go back and we're going to end the story of Foley and just see what it looks like when IJM gets involved and rescues somebody. They told me my grandfather came for me. But we could not find him. My uncle said, you forget about your grandfather. And he said, those are the people who come for small boys. So when they come, I should jump into the water and swim away. I uh, love that story, getting to see his family welcome him back, and it seems like very much a scene you would see uh, in Africa. There's so many other rescue stories like this. The story of Sadna, the girl who showed up at the wrong place at the wrong time, is rescued. She is now working with um, other girls and telling them about their rights and making sure that they're helped and that there's help on the way. Uh, Other stories... Looking up of uh, Claire, I believe it is, in this next picture. IJM got her case, took the perpetrators who are now in jail. She's back there at her home property with her kids. They're back in school, and as you can see, they're doing well. Kumar, the seven-year-old boy who was put in bondage for so many years, has gone on, uh, received his uh, grad degree in social work, and is helping other boys and girls now who have faced it face bonded slavery. And for those of you who uh, are IJM supporters already, you probably saw some of the updates. But in the last two weeks, here's some other stories. 14 men were freed from a forced labor in a ginger farm in India. Local government officials who partnered with IJM took the initiative not only to rescue these men, but also arrest the slave owners. So you notice this is that route where the justice system is just changing there. In Uganda, our Gulu team apprehended and arrested four men who attacked a 74-year-old Ugandan widow and her granddaughter in an attempt to steal their land. Eleven children were rescued in Ghana from a small coastal island. At first, there was one that they were missing, but then they were able to find that girl the next day and found all 12 that they knew had been trafficked. Our team in India supported local officials who proactively conducted rescue operations in multiple brick kilns two weeks ago. This ultimately freed 39 victims from slavery. These survivors immediately received their release certificates and restitution money from the government, which again was unheard of years ago. Some other just stories understanding how IJM is changing things in whole countries. In Cebu, Philippines, 
They worked with local officials, other, uh, other nonprofits and the government systems there, trying to basically get rid of all the sex trafficking happening in the Philippines. Independent auditors confirmed a 79% reduction in the number of minors in the sex industry there. This is massive. And by the grace of God, in the span of just a decade or two, we may see the near eradication of sex trafficking of minors in the Philippines. Cambodia used to be considered ground zero for pedophiles. You could go there, you could do whatever you want, and you weren't going to get in trouble. The government wasn't going to do anything about it. And IJM started working there and were really the tip of the spear in the early 2000s. In the, in the 2000s, if you went into the sex industry, approximately 30% of the girls were 12 and younger. Today, that percent is less than 1% after 15 years of working in Cambodia. Walmart's having issues still with uh, slavery in their supply chain, and they didn't know what to do. So guess who they went to? Went to IJM and said, here's a $2 million grant. Can you see what you can do in that area? That's how effective this is. A book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Tipping Point. The title is The Tipping Point, How Little Things Can Make a Big Difference. And in that book, he tells a story of the New York City subways and all the crime that was going around that area. And they did two things that was the tipping point to change the crime rate. They got rid of graffiti and they stopped people from basically stealing rides and not paying for it. And all of a sudden, crime rates plummeted in that area. Malcolm Gladwell says, look at the world around you. It may seem like an immovable, implacable place. It is not. With the slightest push in just the right place, it can be tipped. And again, I want to be a part of that tipping point. A verse that stuck out to me and has really just been in my head since uh, working with IJM is Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they've done? I want to stand before God. I want to stand before my grandkids when slavery's done and say, I was a part of that. And I know many of you have already done that and probably many more of you will. Humanly speaking, the only thing holding back IJM at this point is resources. They have the model in place. It's clearly working, but they can only scale as fast as they have resources. So Freedom Sunday for International Justice Mission is about raising awareness, but for them it's a big day about saying we want people that are going to partner with us. But what are some of the next steps that you can take? First of all, give. That is actually the most effective thing you can do. Unless you're an attorney or you're a social worker or you're in law enforcement and you want to go do this full time in another country, the most effective thing that you can do is give. Secondly, this is probably actually more effective as I say that, pray. <laughs> God is in control and taking time out specifically to pray is not only something that IJM recommends and wants us to do and they model that, but that's one of the things that God calls us to do in our discipleship. Advocate. You can actually go down to your local representative's office. I went down to uh, Senator Price's office and went and advocated for something that IJM said, hey, will you go to your local uh, representative and talk to them about this? There's opportunities to do that. The big thing is Freedom Partners. Freedom Partner is basically someone who says, I commit to giving $24 a month or more to IJM. And you can go to IJM.com forward slash FP to sign up for that. Through the end of September, it's actually again matched. So all your donations for the first year will be matched. So your gift of for the year, instead of it being $288, would be $576. You can do this on your phone very easily. You can use envelopes in the back at the information desk, and we'll take those today and send those up to uh, Washington if you want to sign up uh, for that. There are other opportunities. Uh, in Raleigh, the, there's a group of volunteers that are actually looking for more volunteers that would be committed to working with IGM for maybe a couple hours a week or a couple hours a month, depending on what it is, or just telling others about it. We're also going to have some prayer initiatives. If anybody at Emmaus wants to take the lead in making sure we have two prayer nights over the next 12 months, that would be awesome. Talk to me, talk to Brian. We would love to set that up. 
Um, so there's a lot of opportunities. There's actually going to be a night for praying with other IGM supporters here in Raleigh. And uh, next April, there'll also be a global prayer gathering in Washington, D.C., which I highly recommend going to. If you just so happen to have this week free, they're also doing a big event in Texas. So if you want to drive down there, go on. It would be amazing. It's not going to work out for me. This next part, I just want to say, uh, is a little disturbing. So uh, I'm going to talk about some things. And if you do uh, want to leave before we watch this video, that's fine. Uh, but just want to give you kind of a heads up about that. So before we come to a close this morning, IJM asked us to focus on a specific area, and we are focusing on Southeast Asia and cyber sex trafficking. Uh, this is a reality that's really happening, and it's really growing for one main reason, internet speed. In the last five to ten years, internet speed around the world has just taken off. Um, Kenya, seven years ago, I couldn't connect to the internet. Now, like, I can watch YouTube videos, like, in the middle of nowhere. Same things happen in the Philippines and Southeast Asia. It has become very easy to stream sex videos of little kids to pedophiles, mainly in the United States and Europe. You might remember the story about Cassie. She's in the Philippines and was a 12-year-old girl and was befriended by a man that said, hey, yeah, come to Manila. I can give you education, give you nice clothes. And she's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. I'll do that. Little did she know that this man was actually running a cyber sex operation out of his home. He had five other kids. The youngest of them was three years old. For five years, Cassie was abused almost every day and raped for an online audience. She was completely hidden from the outside world. We're going to hear a story of Marco and some of the abuse that happened to him. And then I'll come back and we'll wrap up. job ever. He gets to fight crime. I want to be like Superman and protect my sister from the bad guys. She is my best friend. Mom says if I work hard enough, Someday my dream will come true. I tell Gabby she is safe when I put my cape on her. Nothing can hurt her then. I tell her to think of birds. They are free and can fly away. I wonder if one day I can grow wings like a bird and fly. Maybe as fast as Superman. Maybe one day me and Gabby can raise him. If I ever meet Superman, I would want to ask him one question. Did he ever have to hurt the ones he loved the most?
They tell me that I would make a good sidekick and that Superman would want me to fight crime with him because they say even Superman needs a little help sometimes. Marco is uh, safe and recovering today, and his little sister, because of the work of IJM and for so many of the supporters. Cassie, who you heard about earlier, she's also recovering, still going through a good bit. We're going to pray for her just uh, in a minute, but saw her two years ago in Washington, D.C. She spoke to a group of 5,000 people standing up and asking for people to stand up for the rights of girls and kids like her. So we've heard some really heavy stuff today. Um, debated showing that last video because it's awful. <laughs> but one of the things that at IJM they talk about is remembering when we're dealing with this is that this is something God wants us to know about. But then we got to give it back to God because it's too big for us. So we're going to do that here in, in just a minute. I just encourage you, as you're working through these thoughts in your mind, give it back to God. He's still in control. Worship Him. And know that He is going to make this right. Again, we'd love you to be a part of being a freedom partner in IJM if that's what you want. I do want to say, maybe for some of you, you already are working on social justice areas. You don't have the bandwidth for this. I understand that. And God understands that this is not the only thing you can do. But it's something we'd love to see more and more people at Emmaus do if you feel that's where God is leading you.